Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 23rd of August in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Goldman clamps down on working from home as data suggests that more than a third of all office desks are unoccupied every day of the week. Former precious metal traders at JP Morgan are sent to prison for market manipulation. And reports suggest that Huawei is building a secret chip manufacturing network in a bid to skirt US sanctions. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. As major firms urge workers back to the office, a new report says more than one third of desks in global offices aren't used all week. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts has more. Being at your desk all day, every day is an increasingly outdated trend. According to workplace sensor provider XY Sense, meeting spaces and soundproofing closures are now 90% full on average. But just 14% of cubicles and desks are occupied for five hours or more. Overall, they say that offices are used about half as much as pre-pandemic. For banks like Goldman Sachs, who are increasingly enforcing a five-day-a-week office policy, the XY report begs the question, is the modern office fit for purpose? In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. JP Morgan's former head of precious metals will spend a year in prison for manipulating the gold market. Michael Novak and his top trader Greg Smith were found guilty of issuing huge quantities of fake buy and sell orders, then cancelling them before they were executed, a practice known as spoofing. Their former employer has paid $920 million to settle the Justice Department's allegations against it. That's the biggest market manipulation fine since 2008. The US banking watchdog, the FDIC, is set to propose new regulations for mid-sized banks as soon as next week. More from Bloomberg's Doug Krisner. The plan will be unveiled next week and would require banks with as little as $100 billion in assets to issue enough long-term debt to cover capital losses if those lenders ever failed. The FDIC will also unveil a plan to make those same banks fortify their hypothetical wind-down plans. It's the latest response to the collapse of three regional banks back in March. The issue of who should shoulder cost for bank failures became contentious when the FDIC had to cover all deposits of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature bank, including those that were unsecured. In New York, I'm Doug Krisner, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. A leading association of global chip companies says Huawei is building a secret chip factory network to skirt US sanctions. The Semiconductor Industry Association says the plan is getting $30 billion in Chinese state support, allowing the company to acquire at least two factories and build three others. Bloomberg's Debbie Wu helped to break the story. The Semiconductor uh, Industry Association told its members in April that Huawei is building a uh, network of chip-making uh, plants all across China. So uh, it is uh, acquiring two plants and then helping uh, build three. That means uh, Huawei may be able to uh, get around U.S. sanctions and finally uh, secure uh, some uh, chip capacity. 
Chinese companies are largely allowed to buy older generation US chip making equipment. However, blacklisted companies like Huawei are prohibited from such purchases without a license and those exceptions are rare. China has publicly backed the expansion of the BRICS block while also using the annual summit to send an upbeat note on the country's economy. President Xi Jinping skipped a business forum but did attend a dinner with the leaders of South Africa, Brazil and India as well as Russia's foreign minister. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin is the only leader out of the five members not to be attending in person. He delivered a speech remotely explaining why Russia pulled out of an important grain deal which is restricting food supplies across Africa. None of the terms of the so-called deal concerning the lifting of sanctions imposed on Russian exports to world market have been fulfilled. Obligations to Russia in this regard have been simply ignored. That's Russia's President Vladimir Putin speaking through a translator. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa will be delivering an opening remark to the conference today. And the China slowdown is hurting Nike, whose shares have fallen for a record ninth straight session. That has wiped nearly $13 billion off the company's market value. The story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. The stock fell for a ninth straight session in its longest losing streak since the company's IPO in December of 1980. The latest drop came after retailer and Nike customer Dick's Sporting Goods reported disappointing fiscal second quarter results and cut its profit outlook for the year, due in part to more theft at its stores. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Those are your top stories on the markets. The MSCI Pacific Index is three-tenths of 1% higher. Eurostock's 50 futures are a tenth higher. And the 10-year Treasury yield is hovering above 4.3%, down two basis points. Well, let's turn now to get more on that story around office occupancy around the world with one report showing more than a third of desks are empty all week long. That's as companies like Goldman Sachs push for workers to work five days in the office. Our reporter James Wilcock joins us now for more on this. James, this report from XY Sense that we're talking about this morning looked at nearly 25,000 workstations across nine regions, including the UK. What did it tell us that we didn't already know about this trend? Well, Stephen, it tells us that employees are scrambling for data as they're trying to figure out quite what to do with productivity concerns, with concerns about how to get workers into the right office, and with Goldman saying, come in five days, if that's really the right approach. And so what XY Sense did is they used their technology of putting various workplace sensors in their sort of companies that, that use them, and they said that actually 90% of the time, people are using these big meeting rooms, these communal spaces that form only 20% of most offices' footprints, whereas if they're on desks, they're often not there or moving around or going around. So it tells us that the way people are using these offices are changing. It's not that they're not coming in. The data says, according to XY Sense, that about 50% of offices are utilised the way they were before the pandemic. It's that when they're coming in, they want to do very different things to what they used to. They don't want, let's say, an open plan office. They want a meeting space. They want to meet their colleagues. They want to catch up with their manager. They want to talk to the intern. They want to sort of adjust the way they spend that sort of 
minimal sort of work time that they want to have in the office. Mm, and less time working by themselves at the traditional banks of desks that we're used to seeing in offices. What about how companies are handling this issue? It's a policy that we've seen evolve quite significantly over the past year or so. I mean, part of the problem here is we are in an era of experimentation. A story I found really fascinating a while ago is um, where the office furniture is moving. And so uh, when someone who used to design the furniture at WeWork has moved on to their own business and said, we are now in 10 years of trying to figure out what the next office furniture looks like. In this, people like Goldman and Tesla are the outliers. They are like full-time office, back to usual, back to the before times. And then on the other hand, you have most companies settling at kind of a three to four day. So we're talking Apple, Amazon, Google, Starbucks, even Zoom. Now, it made a lot of headlines that Zoom were ditching the work from home model. They've come out and said, actually, we're more like we want three days a week. We want to see people having some personal touch time and then Zoom can then augment that around it. So it's fascinating that most of corporate America and the UK seems to be sort of settling around that zone. In that sense, Goldman is in many ways kind of the one who are trying out the back to the sort of past model of five days in, no questions in every day. Mm, certainly very interesting and interesting to reflect on that when we think about what we see around the City of London on a weekly basis and the days that are very clearly a lot quieter and those uh, where there are longer lines if you're trying to get a sandwich at lunchtime, for example. What does all of this mean for commercial real estate, for office buildings? We've had some high-profile companies here in London talk about moving their offices. Well, I mean, so McKinsey did a study a couple of months ago where they said remote work risks wiping off $800 billion from the value of office buildings in major cities. Now, um, CBRE, uh, the retail estate advisor, they say that sort of investors are looking to try and convert a lot of office space. They are taking the kind of data that XY Sense are looking at and saying, we need to rejig the way office space works. Now, investment in central London offices was about half the long-term average in the first quarter of this year. Um, so the question is for them, like, where are companies going to decide to commit? And this comes back to that sort of first problem, Stephen. We know that employees dislike top-down mandates. We know managers are concerned about productivity and but yet they haven't figured out if it's a question of more tech and tracking people better, if it's a case of just put laying down the law, which is going to have a real effect on retention. And every employer is trying to navigate that spectrum of how hardline to go, or on the other hand, how soft touch to go at the sort of risk of maybe losing productivity. Do you, you know, institute an office-wide mandate or do you integrate loads of tech as a way of tracking where you go in the space? So employers and employees are feeling their way through this as it's sort of an evolving situation. Do we know are there any wrong answers when it comes to this? I think so far it seems the one wrong answer is not to be adaptable and not to be able to change. And in this, London is a concerning one because in 2021, they put in a new law saying you have to be quite strict about converting office spaces to home spaces. In London, a lot of local councils really don't want to lose office space because that's what's bringing people into their sort of central business districts and spending. And so there are a lot of fears from people who develop real estate in London that it might be especially slow in getting planning applications to change the uses of office space, both in terms of the new hybrid offices of potentially the future, but also in office spaces that aren't working, converting them into homes. Okay, James Wilcock, thanks so much for taking us through the various strands of that story. Up next, the Chinese spy using LinkedIn to hunt for UK secrets and Rishi Sunak seeks to woo Elon Musk after Macron meeting. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. 
But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, the paper review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. And Leanne Gerrans is with us with the details of those stories. Morning to you, Leanne. Let's start in The Times. The headline exposed the Chinese spy using LinkedIn to hunt UK secrets. Oh, Stephen, it's almost something out of a James Bond film. We all love a bit of a spy story, but this one is actually super in-depth and really interesting about what's going on when we look at the world of spying. Now, The Times has learned a single Chinese spy is using multiple LinkedIn profiles and that's to lure thousands of British officials to hand over state secrets. The man whose alias is Robin Chang would offer large sums of money and lucrative business deals in exchange for information. I just want to say he has many aliases but this is just the one that's been used in the paper but if you have a look at the article there's a lot more if you've got any concerns. Now the newspaper says a recruitment consultant was handed £8,000 that's a huge sum of money for every time they're handed over details of a candidate from the intelligence services but even more than that, a former military intelligence official was given large sums of cash. And this was all for information about counter-terrorism work. So this is something that's been going on apparently for a long time. And the way they lure people in through LinkedIn is by flattery, by praise, also the temptation of cash, people wanting to work for private consultancies. So there's lots of reasons for why this is attractive and of course money. Now Tom Tugendhat, he's the security minister and also Ken McCullen, now he's the director of MI5, have both warned that Chinese spies are using LinkedIn to target British citizens. So they know this is going on and they've made this absolutely clear but this in-depth article and research by the Times really lays bare exactly what's going on. And a LinkedIn spokesman has actually 
sent a quote into the paper saying creating a fake account is a clear violation of our terms and services. Our threat protection, prevention and defence team actively seek out signs of state-sponsored activity and removes fake accounts using information we uncover and intelligence from a variety of sources, including government agencies. LinkedIn is saying they're doing all that they can, but we do know that social media is where you can clone a lot of profiles Mm. and tempt people into these big sums of cash to send over state secrets. Yeah, very interesting read in the Times this morning. The Financial Times next, Leanne, a story about the Bank of England warning on corporate default risk. Yes, indeed. And this is actually quite a stark warning from the central bank. And it says that companies are facing a higher risk of corporate defaults, posing a threat to investment and employment. And they're saying this is all down to the rising interest rates that we're seeing here in the UK. And according to analysis from the central bank, which was released yesterday, the number of non-financial companies, so those are the companies that produce goods and services, Services for the market are expecting debt servicing stress will rise 50% by the end of the year from 45% last year. But Stephen, more concerning than those statistics, the FT says that um, basically if it is for a medium-sized company, the proportion rose 70%. So those are the companies with an annual turnover of 10 million or 500 million pounds so 70% concerned there the interest rate as we know has risen from a record low of 0.1% in November 2021 to its current 5.2% Ruth Gregory an analyst at Capital Economics speaking to the Financial Times says corporate insolvencies were expected to rise sharply in the months ahead as a result of surging borrowing costs a largely stagnant economy and high inflation. But really, this warning from the Bank of England about corporate default risk, and that's due to rising interest rates. Okay, Leanne. And finally, we'll go to the Telegraph. Rishi Sunak to woo Elon Musk after Tesla billionaires' meetings with Macron. Yeah, apparently he wasn't very happy when he snubbed the UK in favour of France. And I do remember seeing all those pictures of Elon Musk sitting across from Emmanuel Macron as they were having some long discussions that took place. Now, it's hoped that Elon Musk will attend a major investment summit here in London later this year. It's expected to take place in November. Rishi Sunak wants the billionaire to be one of the star guests at that global summit. The government is also planning to invite the Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, according to Sky News, which first reported on the intentions to invite Elon Musk. What's this all about, Stephen? It's all about investment. We do know that a gigafactory in Europe, only one of them Musk has invested in in Berlin. Mm. Macron's trying to get him to build one in France. And we appear to trying to get him to build one here in the UK. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa device. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. 
I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.